Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to a good football show. I'm your host, Pat Green. With me today is Benny Carter, NBC Sports Edge, Sean Siegel of Rotoviz, and of the being the zero running back OG and GOAT, and Ben Gratch of Feeling Signals. And also, both Sean and Ben of the new podcast, Stealing Bananas, which should really be no surprise that you guys start a podcast and it's immediately my favorite podcast, but still very, very impressive. Please listen to that if you guys have not. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's exciting to be on with you guys, two of our favorites. And uh, we've had a lot of discussions about some of the things we're going to talk about today. And pretty exciting to see what you think. And, and this show sheet was pretty incredible. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what I said. I, 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 I said we, we, we could say, I mean, Pat, just for the, the audience out there, Pat sent a, a, a show sheet that we could talk about for, until the end of days. Um, and, and it's good. <laughs> and uh, it's not, this is not a, a criticism. I mean, it, there, there's a lot to digest there. A lot, a, a lot of really good points that I, I'd like to get to. Real quick about your new show, guys. Can you explain to the listeners what the what the title of the show means, Ceiling Bananas, or how, how it came about? I, I know, but I'm sure they would like to know. Yeah, I write an article called Ceiling Signals. It's in uh, newsletter form now. You can find it at uh, com. It's like my big sort of brand one. And then Sean Sean's original fantasy site was Money in the Banana Stand, which is a reference to Arrested Development, um, which I had never seen when I met you, but I've since watched every episode. It's a fantastic show. Um, so yeah, we're stealing bananas. We're just mashing those things together. Stealing bananas. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it because it, it reminds me of what my daughter does to my banana stash uh, in the kitchen. I try to keep it you know, safe from the kids. There's no chance. You know, I, 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 I buy a bunch of bananas and they're all gone. So obviously she's a, she's a listener. A long time <laughs> yeah it is actually a very catchy name and you know kind of makes sense when you know the two brands colliding but it's it's actually quite an apt name before we get into the discussion today you guys aren't kidding about the show sheet i basically have been listening to all the episodes of stealing bananas and i've had all these thoughts and so and then i put all the thoughts on about five pages of paper and sent them to you guys so there's a lot to talk about here including player targets strategy structures your running back all that good stuff before we get into it, I did want to let the people know that if you are looking for the perfect road trip this summer, why not make it to Canton this weekend, the weekend of August 14th through 15th. There's the Fantasy Football Expo in Canton from fantasy drafts to parties to tickets. 
to the Pro Football uh, Hall of Fame. It's going to be Fantasy Football's Greatest Weekend. Over 50 of the top fantasy football analysts are going to be there sharing their knowledge and insights for whatever genre you play, redraft, dynasty, Debbie, sports betting. I'll be part of the the dynasty panel that they have. Um, Saturday's filled with a college fantasy football draft uh, live at the Expo Hotel. Guys from draftnightout.com will be holding fantasy football drafts in the Kings Classic Expo Draft. We'll be drafting live from the Hall of Fame. Saturday night, there's a huge party for everyone to attend, and Sunday is the Expo. NBC Sports Edge will be there in full force, so don't miss out. Go to www.thefantasyfootballexpo.com and get your tickets today. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Throw in some music. We can watch the game. Or we could keep it simple. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Guys, the first thing I wanted to touch on, just as you, you know, as we've alluded to here, there's a lot to cover. The one thing I do not want to get lost is that you guys did an episode where you're redrafting guys for the 2022 draft. Antonio Gibson was very high, but you did not really talk about Antonio Gibson. And Antonio <laughs> Gibson is a guy here at NBC Sports Edge that I've been making the bull case for. There's been some pushback. I think Denny's probably the most on board of everyone uh, here at NBC with Antonio Gibson. So you have a very receptive audience. Please make the Antonio Gibson bull case. And, or do you think that some of the um, enthusiasm for Gibson is getting ahead of itself? Ben, where are you at? Uh, I would say uh, I don't think the enthusiasm is necessarily getting ahead of itself. Uh, the bull case for me is this really sort of logical case that we've start, started to learn over these last few years. Blair Andrews at Rotovis has done a really good job of recognizing that, um, especially over on the wide receiver side, that when – guys are really efficient in the rookie year. They get more work in year two. And, and that makes perfect sense. Antonio Gibson last year going into his rookie year, third round rookie. He actually got way more work than you'd expect out of a third round rookie in year one and was very, very good. So then Washington has a whole off season to basically sit and say, this is what we got out of our third round rookie in year one. What do we want to get out of him in year two? And, and all it really comes down to is, will he get enough receiving work? Will JD McKissick really cut into it again the way that he did? I think it's pretty easy to expect that he won't cut into it to the same degree as Gibson did in the first, you know, as he as he did in Gibson's first year, because it, it's almost like a long shot that Gibson's role wouldn't expand in year two, and that's sort of what I think gets missed with young players. Sometimes we sort of just like look at last year's trends and say, oh well, McKissick's still there; he's not going to catch enough passes. I mean, there's everything else you can talk about with his profile that Gibson caught passes in college and yada yada. Um, but to me, it's just like that should be that's like the the bear case is that Gibson doesn't add work in year two after he had such a good rookie season. Gibson for me is tricky because of the price, right? I think a lot of what we're expecting is priced in at the levels that he's going. If you're taking him at the one, two turn, you're expecting these things to mostly work out. Now there's this extreme case where he does everything that Pat wants him to do. 
and scores a bunch of short touchdowns again, you know, catches 50, 60, 70 passes, and you start to move him up to where he's going to be a top five pick next year. One of the reasons why we had him in the first round, and I feel pretty comfortable having him in the first round, is that I actually think if he has even a slightly disappointing season, then people are going to continue to move him up and think, okay, well, he takes the next step. My concern with Gibson is that even though he's done a lot of the things that we want and was a good rusher last year, that his overall production, if we look at the last two, three years, looking back to college, still doesn't necessarily justify the price levels, or at least there's some risk. And we want to be very careful about the risk when we're looking at running backs. We have some guys like a Clyde Edwards-Alaire who isn't the same athlete and maybe doesn't have even as strong an argument as having had all the production in the past, but is less expensive and maybe in an offense that scores more points. We have DeAndre Swift, who I think is very proven in terms of the talent level and is much more discounted. And so if you're looking to get exposure but not overexposure early, there might be some guys in similar situations with better prices. And then with Gibson as well, trying to look at that receiving value, you know, is Washington going to need to be aggressive? Are they going to need to score enough points to where he has this extreme ceiling that would help us justify the risk? You know, is their defense so good that they're going to be a little bit of a lower volume overall team? They have Ryan Fitzpatrick. Of course, they're going to be aggressive. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I've, I've thought about that, Sean, a little bit. You know, Washington's defense seems so stacked, uh, so potent. I know they're, they're, I think they're the first overall uh, defense off the of draft boards right now, which I, I get. I mean, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't necessarily take them outside of the last two rounds, but. Yeah, that, that does raise some, some questions. So the reason, you know, Pat sold me hard on, on Gibson and I, and I, and I bought it, I'm, I'm in. Uh, it's, it's partly because he doesn't have to completely take J.D. McKissick's role. And I know you, you guys know this, but he doesn't have to take over that role in order uh, to, you know, outperform his ADP. He just needs to cut into that, that pass catching role. And I, and I think that you know, every indication so far in all, in OTAs and then now in training camp has been that he's trending in that direction. Uh, I know we had a blurb on NBC sports edge recently. Uh, they said that, that Gibson was, uh, it, was it by you? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't on shift. I wasn't on shift. I, I came in. I was like, I'm blurring this. <laughs> I, I, I've done the same thing. I did. I did it with Justin Fields the other day. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, so, and, and he was in the two minute offense uh, for Washington. Now I get, I get it. It's August and we're five weeks away from the regular season. I understand, but also Ron Rivera has been pretty outspoken in recent weeks saying, I want Gibson more involved in the, the passing game. So, I think he can cut into, and he's trending toward cutting into McKissick's pass catching role enough to make me, you know, prefer him over running backs going in in that area. Especially if you're going for like the the one RB build, like the one I don't know what we're calling a hero RB or whatever. <laughs> so it has 15 names. Uh, so, that it, but I find myself uh, sold on, on that argument that he can get enough pass catching action to be a value. Yeah, and that's huge yeah. with, with Pat's legendary upside article that he wrote. Like, we need the, we need the pass catching, we need the touchdowns. Sean made a good point that he had a lot of short touchdowns last year. Maybe his TDs regress a little, but he did get earn more of that work throughout the year. So the, the, that combo that we're looking for could very easily be there, and that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm reeling a little bit because I think Sean just called Antonio Gibson Joe Mixon, um, and he's just going to get continually pushed up for the next few years just on hope. Uh, so that's a tough that's a tough scene for me. But 
I do agree as well about, I think especially DeAndre Swift, I, you don't get quite the discount with CEH that I would like. Like if he was going in the early third to where you could kind of let him pass and get him back, you know, if you're in one of those early draft slots and go like uh, like in, in FFPC, if you could start with, uh, with a wide receiver and then get like George Kittle and then come back and get CEH in the third, that would be ideal. I'd have a ton of CEH in that type of build, but he's not really lasting that long so i think to get him you're often having to look at the mid second or or late second swift is really the guy that i've been impressed by you know just what a discount you get and uh someone that i'm trying to get my exposure up to sean do you see swift's upside this year as as rivaling that of you know these other guys going ahead of him gibson and ceh i do i i think that he has this situation that is very similar sort of to Austin Eckler, right? To where you actually have more r- receiving upside than people realize. He had this profile last year in terms of rush EP, receiving EP, over six in both. He was efficient on both. We don't know that he's going to be efficient again, especially an offense that is very bad. I and mean, we see inefficient seasons even from some of the talents. But you look at what he's done there. I have much more confidence in him building out to being like a 10 receive EP per game guy and having both the floor and the ceiling there in games where he scores some touchdowns. I think that uh, even though their offense will be worse because I mean, Jared Goff is no Ryan Fitzpatrick, but they're going to need to throw and to have all these dump offs to their running back late in games to where you have all of these different opportunities for Swift to score a bunch of points I wasn't necessarily on him last year, but I was very impressed with what he did. And his price is one that I think is now just a home run. I mean, you talk about the price for CEH. I've been in a lot of very wide receiver heavy drafts recently where he falls into round three, and then you have to look at taking him. Uh, We've been in some drafts where Swift is falling into the beginning of the fourth. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, then you, you have to take him in that range. And if you set up to where you don't have too many running backs, at that point, you can. Whereas if you took running backs early, you know, then, you know, exactly like you talk about, Pat, we're starting to stack in downside. I really like some of the dead zone guys this year simply because as drafters are adjusting, we're having people pushed into a range where you can start with the wide receivers and then you can come back. I don't know if this is the appropriate place for it, but Pat, you talked about that Kittle Gibson start with the sort of projection that the both of those players have. I mean, with Kittle, we know he's a superstar, but there is competition for the targets within an offense that may be low volume. Are you able to buy enough upside for the price at the one-two turn with those guys? I think Kittle's upside is very over understated. This guy's never scored more than six touchdowns. And this is now an offense that we think might score a ton of points and might have a massive improvement in its quarterback play. And that, by the way, isn't dependent on Trey Lance playing the whole season because Jimmy Garoppolo struggled with injuries throughout, you know, his stint in San Francisco. So if we just get a healthy Garoppolo to start the year and then it goes to Lance, whenever he's ready to take over, you could be looking at a ton of points out of San Francisco. And I think Kittle could absolutely crush his previous career high in touchdowns you do with Kittle. You are banking on efficiency. I mean, he's not going to have the target volume of Kelsey. He's not going to have the targets of Darren Waller, but I think, you know, he still has quite a bit of upside um, in tight end premium. So I think with Gibson, it's there's probably my hope with Gibson is that you can kind of swing for the fences with him and still probably hit a triple, even if it fails, Um, because if he's involved in the two minute offense, there should be around like, you know, 
three and a half, four receptions per game for him to where he doesn't necessarily have to rip off, you know, the long touchdowns and have just like the incredible, you know, 1920 touchdown season where he is truly the guy you need this year. And you're still happy that you got that you grabbed him at that one, two turn where, you know, there isn't a ton of really high upside options. Now this has changed a little bit with the, the Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley ADPs, but previously like those really high upside guys were, were mostly gone at running back. Now the question is, are you giving up too much upside at wide receiver? Because, you know, Tyree kills sometimes there, Stephon Diggs sometimes there. And that's very, very high upside. Um, I guess this is something I wanted to get into a little later, but it kind of makes sense to jump into now. This is something that I kind of struggle with in general with zero running back where when I know the room is not going to punish me for getting a little off course, I'll often get a little off course. Like I know in that in that draft that you're mentioning, the first main event they did, we started Gibson and Kittle. We at the time felt that that was probably suboptimal, but we felt that as well. And this is me and Pete Overset who were doing the draft together. We felt that we also were not going to get punished for doing a suboptimal start. And then, lo and behold, we got Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, Brandon Ayuk, Chase Claypool, LaVisca Chenault, Will Fuller, and Elijah Moore as our next uh, seven picks. So still feeling that we have a ton of wide receiver upside with that build because we knew the room. And then we we lucked into Daryl Henderson as our next running back pick. So we felt very good about the start overall, even though we did pass up on Tyree Kill and Stephon Diggs, which, you know, Sean, like I'm afraid to tell you, like that is that is <laughs> that we are frauds. We we didn't we didn't take the wide receivers, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts. And this goes to I think a larger question about zero running that that people often have, which is kind of where can I use it? You know, like what if my league just has no interest in wide receivers and I take all the wide receivers and then there's no running backs for me? You know, do you or I, I did a, a a best ball draft recently where my running backs are quite putrid I, I have like gus edwards and tevin coleman uh alexander madison there's really not much that i have at running back in that draft but my wide receivers are absolutely absurd and so i think there's sort of two paths like you can either just really punish your league for letting you have all the wide receivers uh and just make it work with a bunch of cheap uh, running back options later or you can take a little detour and grab a running back early and uh, and take and because you know you're going to get all that value washing over the rest of your your picks later at wide receiver. Sean, how do you think through that uh, conundrum? Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like it works perfectly every time because you will occasionally get caught in a draft where if you had taken a running back early, you would have felt better about it because so many great wide receivers are available later. But in most cases, one of the reasons why I like zero running back compared to some other approaches is that it works well sort of in both types of rooms. And so if you're one of the only zero RB guys in there, then the wide receivers you get are so strong that you know you're going to hammer people at the receiver positions and you're going to hammer people at the flex positions. And then you need very little to break correctly for you at running back to have sort of a super team. Whereas if you're in a draft with more zero RB drafters, it usually also works out really well because the fact that you loaded up at wide receiver early means that you're strong enough to compete with those teams and to hammer the early running back teams. And then because it's wide receiver early, these amazing running backs drop to you and you're like, you know, say there are three or four wide receiver heavy drafters 
then you get whoever you want late. And so there was absolutely no downside for you at all. Sean was talking about a, a draft that we're, we're in, an Apex Raiders draft with a bunch of industry fellas, and uh, you're getting crazy running back values as people, as, as half the league has committed to zero RB or some, or some form of it. Uh, like, for instance, I, got, I was able to get Josh Jacobs in the eighth round. Like that, you know, I, I've, and, and I don't like, Too early. I, don't like I don't like Josh tell, Jacobs. <laughs> tell us about the values, Danny. <laughs> if only you could have made your running backs better. You're right. I have yeah. Yeah, Josh uh, Jacobs or, in the eighth is pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, and and so and Chase Edmonds went to the seventh, fell into the seventh round. You know, so anyway, it, it can it can certainly work. Like even if your league, some of your league mates are going to the wall with zero RB, it shouldn't scare you off of it because the R, the running back ADPs are going to be squashed at that point. And um, and and you can you can still you can still get a startable running back or maybe two, which is a luxury. I I feel like. Yeah, and <laughs> Sean made a really good point on the first part of that. The the other side, Denny was just talking about the wide receiver heavy one, but in a non wide receiver heavy one, what the response always is to zero RB people is, well, I can just get a good wide receiver a little bit later. And Pat, like, obviously not intentionally doing this, but you more or less sort of made that case just now. And you said if you take Gibson or Kittle, you can still build a pretty strong wide receiver group. What Sean's saying is I could build that really strong wide receiver group, but then also have Tyree Kill and Stephon Diggs at the top of it. And now it's it's not just a really strong wide receiver group. It is absolutely dominant. And we get into this, this problem, I think, in drafts where we think because there's depth at a position, not us, other people do, that there's depth at a position like wide receiver. I don't have to go there. I need to take another position before the, the good players run out. The counter is you can only take one player in every round. And if you just go to the deep position, you can go back to the deep. There's no one saying that you can't also take a receiver the next time when it's deep. Like you can wait to take a receiver and also take one. Now you can do both and you can then have very good receivers. That's how that works. Why not both? Is, yeah. <laughs> is the meme. I think that's a great point. Um, I also think that you're, always fighting against, I'm always fighting against overconfidence in all of my drafts. And so you think, you know, if you take these two guys at the start, let's say you've got a Stefan Diggs, Tyree kill start. Uh, you think like, okay, like I've got my, my two starting wide receivers. I'm good there, but like Tyree kill can have a really good season. So miss like six games with a hamstring pull. You actually might be right and need more wide receiver depth. So I think that's another thing is that, like when we when we did not in that draft take two wide receivers to start, we then had to go seven running uh, seven wide receivers in a row. I think like we had a chance to get a Russell Wilson at a really nice price. We took Will Fuller instead because once you've already deviated, now you're really behind. Mm-hmm. And so that's I think I think I feel somewhat comfortable doing that as long as you know you commit to the idea of i'm actually like really behind the rest of this room now and i need to give up values like values might might fall to me at running back or at quarterback that i'm going to have to pass on and i think that's something to think through with with zero running back where when you have enough wide receivers you have flexibility and when you don't have enough wide receivers then you don't have flexibility which which i feel like Sean was kind of echoing a point you made earlier that the wide receivers if you take the wide receivers earlier, then you really have more flexibility throughout the rest of your draft. It really um, depends on, on how many flex spots you have to fill. I know there are some leagues with multiple flex spots. If it's PPR, multiple flex spots, 
you know, you like like Sean referenced earlier, you can build a super team if you know you 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 commit to that zero RB build and then get you know like you know one one or possibly two starting startable running backs. You know, like it doesn't they, they don't have to be world beaters. Obviously, you're not going to be able to do that. You get one pick per round. This is breaking news. Ben broke it earlier. I'm breaking it again now. And <laughs> and uh, so uh, if you have multiple flex spots, I. I I feel like it's the the only way to go if you're if you're going for upside and by upside I mean winning the the damn league. Before we get into another point, I did want to mention there's there's a must see football uh, podcast this week on NBC Sports Edge Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel. Join Sarah Perlman for Football Futures. You'll get fantasy and sports betting insight on all the major players and teams around the NFL from Warren Sharp, Drew Dinsick, and a host of other Edge team members. Added to the list of ways. We're giving you an edge heading into the 2021 season. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Ben, the last time that you were on this podcast, we did our best, uh, you, me, and Jack Miller, to destroy the, the ADPs of the early running backs outside of Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook. Uh, now I would like to turn our attention to Dalvin Cook who on your um, podcast, you both sounded a little apprehensive about Dalvin Cook. And I'm doing some research right now on the follow-up article to the legendary Upside article that I, that I put out. And in that research, kind of looking at the profile of what these guys who score massive, you know, have, have massive league-winning types of outcomes at the running back position, how are they getting there? And one of the big things that jumped out to me is that Dalvin Cook is the first running back since 2009 to have 23 PPR points or more on less than four receptions per game. This is an old archetype. This is like the old Clinton Portis archetype. This is not mm. the modern archetype league winner that we've seen more from, you know, Le'Veon Bell and Christian McCaffrey. Now, I've still been taking Cook at number two overall, despite the fact that I feel like his path getting to getting back to that league winning value is thinner than people really appreciate. Sean, is it correct to still take Dalvin Cook at number two, or am I a coward? <laughs> I think it's tricky, right? I mean, you've got these receivers who are going to be better bets in terms of both the floor and the ceiling at that range. I think we can get some extreme wide receiver outcomes that aren't being looked at. You mentioned the 23 points per game with the four receptions. One of the things that Ben and I talked about is that Cook is one of these guys with a 15 rush EP five receiving EP profile, we tend to look at the Uber backs as being guys who are 10 and 10, 
right? You have your David Johnsons, your Le'Veon Bells, your Saquon Barkleys before all the injuries and the things happen. Definitely your Christian McCaffrey. The only other guys who have this 15 and five comes from the sort of 2005 timeframe. And then Cook was also toward the end of what you would expect in terms of fantasy points over expectation. So he's got a difficult profile in terms of managing that upside in a couple of different ways. It's an interesting argument because it, I, I feel like Dalvin Cook is not even thought about really as as anything but the number two overall pick. And if something were to happen to McCaffrey, I think he would just instantly slide into that number one pick. So uh, it, it's he's he's gone sort of uh, unanalyzed in that way um, this off season until until I'm you know I I'm hearing this for the first time <laughs> from the show sheet and uh, and and hearing you smart guys talk about it. I think it's worth examining. And, you know, the way that players get there matters um, as, as far as sustainability goes. So I, I think it's definitely noteworthy. Ben, are you still taking Cook, too? Is that like, is there any other options that we really have here? I have been. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Is there any other options? My, my answer is that I don't want to pick two. <laughs> <Right>? like, <laughs> I mean, I, I have been taking Cook when I have the second pick, but people ask about, you know, sort of where you'd prefer to pick. Uh, there's some formats where you can, you know, rank what what spots you want. I like first, obviously, first because Christian McCaffrey is is truly just a, a unicorn, and I think in you know an auction in auction formats he's a, he should be a, a really high percentage of your budget this year because he just is so clearly a head and shoulders above everyone else. And then after that, I'm looking at like I don't know, 10, 11, 12. Like those are the places that I actually prefer maybe the middle of the round because you get better picks in like the third and the fifth, but not because you get better picks in the first. It's it's very odd that pretty much after the first pick this year, things get very flat, I think, from I mean Cook I think I, I feel more comfortable with than even the picks at three. So I think I do think there's another step, but and so that's why I've been taking him. At three, I'm I'm pretty much ready to take a receiver. I'm ready to to take, you know, Devontae Adams, I think should probably be the wide receiver one and something else you add on the on the show sheet. Um, but but Diggs or Tyreek or, or Travis Kelsey, I'm comfortable with any of those moves in the first half of the first round. Denny, where do you prefer to pick? Uh, I like to trade down so that all my picks are in the... <laughs> no, um, it kind of depends on the league, which is just total cop-out, I understand. But if I have to choose, I'd want one of the last three picks in a 12-team uh, league. I, I just like, I like who I come away with at the, you know near the turn at, and then and then after the turn um I, I feel like it's it it's easy to just pick up uh to you know high-end wide receivers or if you're you know uh if you're feeling like sean you pick up darren waller in the second round you know and then uh, and you go from there and I, and I like that build too so uh i i i don't um i don't love picking in the first three or four picks i i had to do that i believe in in the apex writers league and i took i, I took tyree kill mostly to trigger people, but, uh, you know, that, but I, I don't, I don't regret it. I think it, what's interesting even beyond that is Sean just made a really compelling case for Swift, um, especially compelling to me and maybe CEH over Gibson even. And, and if you sit and think about those guys in a vacuum, like why is Gibson going at the one, two turn and Swift's going at the end of the third it, or, you know, middle of the third, where he's going, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I feel like that same is can be said about the wide receivers after the big three. The big three, I think, are in their own group, which to me is Adams, Hill, and Diggs. And, you know, tight end has three really great options and then, you know, sort of falls off. But I, I don't think I've ever, 
and I've played tw- fantasy for 20 plus years. I don't think I've ever seen a draft where I feel like the, the bets we're making in the middle of the first round are so similar to the bets you can make in the middle of the third round. Like it, it, it pretty much gets flat across multiple positions for maybe 24 picks <laughs> after the first five, maybe after the first two, maybe after the first one, uh, you know, it, it is, right. it's kind of wild. <laughs> Well, isn't that Pat? You wrote that that great piece on NBC Sports Edge about the the running back the running back dead zone starts after McCaffrey. Yeah, and I mean last year it started with McCaffrey. Started with, yeah. um, and Sean, like it goes to I think one of the points that I've heard you make on stealing bananas. Um, I've heard you guys talk about you know how this year's ADP sets up so that you can do one elite running back builds where you don't take that one elite running back in the first. I've actually liked taking. I've, I've enjoyed having the four or the five spot because, you know, in these drafts, you're still getting a really nice third round pick. And if you just say, I'm taking the wide receiver, you can't stop me. Then you end up, I think, really liking the build. Sean, what do you, what do you think about doing that from the two spot? Is that like overly aggressive? Because you can guarantee yourself one of the big three that Ben talked about when I agree, I think there's a tear break after those guys. Then you're able to get someone. You could do CH in the second. You could do an AJ Brown in the second. You're pretty much guaranteed DeAndre Swift if you want to go that that way in the third i mean the build that you're getting while unconventional i think has a ton of upside there are you willing to kind of make that play out of the two hole i am and travis kelsey and tight end premium formats definitely is also in play there yeah i also wanted to get to like why there are guys like that because i think one of the big macro trends and of like you're kind of coming in and, and catching up on fantasy football this year i think maybe like the macro trend to be aware of is this second year class because of how strong it was at wide receiver and how strong it was at running back. And you're looking at real potential breakouts um, with second and third round running backs where, you know, the Ben, when you wrote, when you first wrote about the running back dead zone, it's like the reason that it's, this whole thing is all about upside, right? And the upside really dries up. The dead zone is so apparent because there's no upside in that range. I think that there is upside in with DeAndre Swift. Like if DeAndre Swift, wherever DeAndre Swift is going, is not the dead zone because because he has upside. And at the same time, these wide receivers, I think it's so important to be aware of. One second year breakouts are really important to be thinking about in every season. And then two, when you have a draft class like this, you have to be even more cognizant of targeting those second year breakouts because you're getting the talent paired with the second year potential breakout and. Ben, I wanted to get your thoughts on just kind of like how much is too much with the second year stuff. Like, like in uh, some of my drafts, it's like, it almost looks like I'm doing a bit, but I'm, but I'm being quite serious. <laughs> yeah, no. I, and I think not almost not enough. The 2020 draft, first of all, on the, on the days of the draft, it was clear that this class had more draft capital put into the skill positions than, I mean, not at the tight end position, but certainly running backs. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. It's, you know, 18 months old now or whatever, but um, the running backs through like the third round were definitely more than each of the prior seasons, as well as the receivers. I think there was 19 receivers drafted in the first three rounds, if I'm not mistaken. And there was several running backs as well. And so you knew that there was a lot of players coming in with pretty strong draft capital, which we know to be a strong predictor. Like the, the NFL told us they thought this was a really good class. And then we saw a lot of really strong performances. When you ask about how much is too much with the dead zone, the biggest thing that I noticed when I originally did the dead zone thing and I was looking purely sort of at upside, the ones that did hit out of that range were young guys. It was either rookies doing it for the first time. And I did a 10 year study. So it goes back to like, you know, Doug Martin's rookie season. He was a dead zone back 
Um, and it, right, Ray Rice was another one. He was the second year back breaking out for the first time, going out of the, the dead zone range. Um, and, and there's several more. Arian Foster's first big season. It's guys that, when you think about why the dead zone exists, it's because we're propping up fragile opportunity projections for guys like for this year era, like Mike Davis. It's guys that are being pushed up because we think they have more work than they probably do. The other ones that fall into that draft range are the ones that probably would be going higher as young players that we're actually kind of excited about, if not for sort of dubious opportunity projection. So they're kind of being pulled down because of that. And that's DeAndre Swift this year. We're really concerned about a situation. The Lions might suck, this, that, and the other thing. No one's talking about the fact the guy was a 21-year-old running back last year, rookie, who caught 43 balls and scored 10 touchdowns. Those are the two things that matter, catching passes and scoring TDs. This dude was 21 and did that as a rookie on a bad team. And now, yeah, he's on a bad team again. But that, Sean's absolutely right when he talks about, when you look at his profile, the rushing and receiving blend, like he's going to have that high-value touch-up side. That, that's the term that I like to use. It's it's all very apparent. He was some people's RB1 pre-draft before, uh, you know, over Jonathan Taylor, over Clyde edwards Lair. There's nothing on his profile that's a concern other than we're doing situational things with the Lions, so we're pushing him down into the dead zone. That's true of Travis Etienne, right? First round pick, went one pick behind Najee Harris. Najee Harris is going in the second round, but Travis Etienne we don't think is in the type of situation that Najee Harris is in, even though it was arguably a better prospect on paper and arguably has the better metrics and the better potential for success. Um, I would make that argument. I think he is. And what we do know about him, he's probably going to get receiving work. And, you know, you know, God forbid something happens to James Robinson or something. He can certainly work into rushing. There's, there's chaos in the NFL season. So the guys that are getting pushed down to the dead zone that are worth targeting are the young ones that are only there because we're, we're moving them back. We don't know what kind of work they're going to get, all of those types of things. And this year, to your point, there are a lot of options there. I mean, A.J. Dillon might move up and be an example of that. He's sort of behind the dead zone, but he's another guy that doesn't belong where he's going, should be going much higher. I, I, I mean, I think especially at running back, targeting that those second-year guys that are pushed down, and some of the rookies like ETN, like Javante Williams that are pushed down. I mean, I think ETN's a better better pick than Najee Harris, almost straight up, but certainly when you consider cost by a lot. I hate that the that your argument for Swift is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not happy with that at all. Why? Why you don't want to be drafting Swift? Uh well, uh, in in you know, I guess in leagues where you have half the league or close to half the league going zero RB and he gets pushed down, I wouldn't mind it, but like in underdog drafts, I'm not, I never find myself like, you know, tar, like uh, I never find his uh, ADP very appealing in, in, in best ball drafts, but that, that was a hell of an argument. As someone with a lot of Jamal Williams shares, I am, I am sure. <laughs> <laughs> of course you're invested in the bad player on a, on a two. I mean, Jamal Williams might have a good year, but I'm sorry. I've not understood that one. Like he's, I do think. Yeah, I think it's talking about control. Is the a back. What's I, that? Right. I think it's, I think his ADP's gotten a little bit out of control. Yeah, because uh, um, he's uh, competing with one of the best young running backs in the NFL. Like, right. Right. <laughs> and and for people, yeah, I, I don't I don't actually know what what, what is it right now. Uh, I'm gonna look it up. I think least. there's a lot of people who think that Williams is gonna outscore DeAndre Swift. No, no, no. Um, he's going at the end of the ninth round. I think there might be people who think that. <laughs> Um, there are going, people like, that think that. basically with like Latavius Murray and Tony Pollard, but I, I would argue that Williams is the be- is probably the better pick of those three. But I don't know. The thing I like about Swift, um, 
kind of regardless of the room is because it, it goes to the point that Sean was making earlier where, you know, you don't necessarily have to do zero running back is just like I'm putting on my blinders and I'm taking wide receivers until no. some pre-designated round. Like you can do a one elite running back build with DeAndre Swift. You know, DeAndre Swift, can you can get him in the third round and build around him like you took him 102 and it's like the exact same play. And frankly, it's a much less risky play because if DeAndre Swift does turns in like a 17 point per game season, you can probably survive that because you have two, two amazing wide receivers to pair with them. Instead of, you know, if you have like a 17 point per game season out of the 102, you're probably not going to win your league. That's a, that's a really tough position to be in because of the opportunity cost that, you know, was sitting there when you, when you took a guy at 102. So um, I've been Swift was a guy that I like a couple weeks ago started building some kind of one elite running back builds around uh, a bit more frequently. The other thing that I feel like about Swift is that this offense, I think, could be quite unconventional. Their wide receivers, and Ben, in your projections podcast with uh, Mike Leone, um, established the edge, you guys have talked about this too, where you're bumping down the wide receivers um, in terms of their normal target shares way lower than you normally would have them, which I think makes mm-hmm. a ton of sense because the, the two most talented pass catchers on this team might very well be a tight end and a running back. Um, and you also have, I mean, when we go with the narratives here, we got a former tight end head coach and a former running back offensive coordinator. I mean, if any team's going to run through a running back and tight end. This is it. And also, no, no one's talking about this, uh, TJ Hawkinson now looks like uh, his head coach when his head coach was uh, in the league. They said this, the same hair, the same facial hair. It's it's remarkable. He's trying to emulate his head coach, and and I think that that's that's worth yeah noting. yeah yeah. It's, the it's, hasn't it's, showered now. The hasn't I, showered narrative. I'm, I'm adjusting the ranks. I mean, yeah. De- Denny's got the narrative. You have to. You have to. Tight end one is in is in range of outcomes now. <laughs> uh, speaking of the ranks, do need to mention that you know this is the heart of fantasy football draft season. We have our draft guide. Uh, with a NBC Sports Edge Plus subscription, you get our draft guide, you get the player projections, you get the ranks, you get everything you need to dominate your drafts this summer. Uh, go to uh, NBC Sports Edge and and sign up for an NBC Sports Edge Plus subscription. I did want to ask uh, kind of another macro thing here as we're winding down. This is probably the last major thing that we touch on, but one of the things that came to mind, we we're talking about the second year breakouts you know needing to load up on these second year players just in general and also because of this particular draft season but you guys also had a really great episode on stealing bananas talking about talent and trying to prioritize talent over opportunity which fits right in with the swift conversation as well one of the things that kind of has jumped out to me is that that's really what we're doing right with the second year players and even with rookies is that we're just trying to get the most talent on our team even if we're not sure about who these guys are you know how talented they're going to be so but you know, if you're trying to beat the market in terms of talent acquisition, targeting second-year players where we know some of these guys are probably going to be extremely talented, particularly this year, but we're just not sure about who's who yet, that that's really how you assemble these monster squads. Sean, is that part of the reason that you have been traditionally so heavy on second-year players? Definitely. You're getting this discount because the volume isn't certain. And again, Blair Andrews has a ton of wrong read episodes talking about how you have this big spike in volume, whether it's touches or receivers receiving target share, receiving overall targets. And as a result of that, you have this volume blow up that people aren't expecting. And then you're getting the talent that you get from the established players. So with those two elements together, you can 
look at these guys and if they were stars in college, if they have all these metrics that we like, if they were good as rookies, they should simply be going earlier. That's how you put together your super team. Couldn't agree more. As someone who's never drafted a good player, um, I, I, will say that, <laughs> I will say that I'm offended by this. Well, you're but, accidentally drafting good players. If you take young ones, you don't know they're good yet, and so they no, still end true. up on your squad. It's true. Okay, so so my my thing, and, and Pat Doherty <laughs> always teases me about never drafting good players, but for me, it's a kind of a pushback against this idea in in some fantasy football circles that a player has to be really good in order to pay attention to him for fantasy purposes. Um, you know, it, it happens a lot with like waiver wire ads in the middle of the season or at the end of the season. I, the one that comes to mind, I was trying to avoid this, but I'm just going to say it. The one that comes to mind, I actually two. One was Terrell Pryor when he got the starting uh, job for the Raiders at, at quarterback. There was, you know, there was a large swath of the fantasy industry that said, he's not good. He's not good at quarterback. And, you know, I, I and others were, said, who cares? Who cares if he's good? He's, he's going to be the quarter. He's going to be rushing 15 times a game. And, and in fact, he, he was, he was valuable for part of that season as a, as in, you know, especially in, in like one quarterback leagues. Anyway, that's one. And then the other one is Harry Douglas, when he became a, 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 a target machine late in the season, one year for Atlanta, what was completely dismissed. Like, <laughs> I did not think like, we were going to be touting Harry listen, Douglas on this podcast. I'm touting Harry Douglas. I don't even know. I don't even know where he is anymore. Probably analyzing the CFL. Right, but, Are you like, drafting Russell Gage? I, 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 no, no, I'm not. I have no, Thank you. I have no interest in Russell Gage <laughs> whatsoever. None. But what I'm saying is, like, be, because he wasn't good, people say, "Well, I'm not. I can't play him. You can't play him. No, don't pick him up." And and he just stumbled into a dozen targets every week yeah. for for a few weeks. He so, was anyway. good. He was he was productive. The way that I would put that is a guy like so Pryor's I think a different conversation because Pryor adds the rushing element, which is sort of like the trump card at QB. Like that matters more than whether the guy can even throw passes for fantasy. He also converted uh, to wide receiver and was good. Like he, this is an incredibly talented, incredibly human. good athlete. And there's sort of yeah. like a trump card there. I'm, I'm reminded of this tacit knowledge concept I was talking about the other day because I, I think being good and being talented really matters. But you just gave a great example of where like. Well, that's a caveat. There's an exception here. When it's Terrell Pryor and he's, you know, he's playing quarterback, it doesn't matter if he's good. Um, the the second one, Harry Douglas, the way that I consider that is like that was Harry Douglas' ceiling. And he was probably what, like a wide receiver three, you know? So the, the whole range of outcomes shifts. Bad players can fall into volume and be usable. And they're, it's kind of great, too, when you pick them off the waiver wire and they're a wide receiver three. That's awesome, right? You remember that still. And I've definitely had players like that on my team. But the floor is way lower. And the ceiling is not as high. He's not going to be a superstar. He's not going to smash and all those things. And the flip, to, the flip is true for talented players where even if their role is not great, like DJ Moore, everybody wanted to smash on DJ Moore last year because he wasn't so he wasn't good enough. DJ Moore's profile was phenomenal coming out of college, right? First two years, very efficient, very good at everything he did, both before the catch and after the catch, great yards after the catch, also good before the catch. Last year, he gets put into a deep threat role, horrible fit with Teddy Bridgewater. Still very efficient, over 10 yards per target. Did not sink your league. I had people telling me, because I was telling them to draft DJ Moore in draft season, that they lost because of DJ Moore. And I just wanted to tell them, no, you lost because of all of your other picks. Because <laughs> DJ Moore was not that bad. Right. Uh, I finished top 20 in the main event with DJ Moore on my roster. It was my third round pick. You could win with DJ Moore last year. The point is, that was like the worst case scenario for a very talented player, was that he was like Harry Douglas's ceiling in terms of like fantasy points. I mean, that's what you get to.
And then if the things break, you get Stefan Diggs on the flip side, right? You get this massive right. ceiling. So that's the way that I think about it is the, the floor to the ceiling is shifted. And what I think is really, really interesting is in the modern NFL mm-hmm. – in the 2000s, when, when I think probably all of us were probably playing when we were, you know, in, in high school or what have you, it was this draft, draft good players, draft Randy Moss just because, like, he's Randy Moss. Like, take him with the first pick. That's the way it used to be played. Then everyone figured out how important opportunity was. Those were like the first big, you know, fantasy analysis. And over lots of years, we've, we've reached this point where we overvalue projected volume and everybody wants to take bad players because of their role. There's no fun in that. When you when you draft DeAndre Swift or Travis Etienne or these guys, you believe me, you're gonna have more fun having good players on your team and just being like, why is this coach not playing? And he'll uh, you'll probably earn more work too. It, it's such a luxury in 2021 that we get to draft good players intentionally, which is way more fun for fantasy football, and it helps you win because nobody wants to draft the good players. Danny, why do you hate fun? Please respond. Oh, oh, I'm I'm a longtime hater of fun. I, it's my fa- my favorite pastime is hating fun. Drafting ETN will be fun when uh, Carlos Hyde plunges in for a second touchdown <laughs> of week one. <laughs> That's going to happen. I it's totally going to happen. It happened with Antonio Gibson last year, but yeah. Gibson went on and was great. It was Peyton Barber after week one last year. Everyone That's said right. Gibson's not going to get the TDs. Peyton Barber's our goal linebacker, but. That didn't last because talent wins out. You're right. The other thing, Ben, I'll say to your DJ Moore point is that like the same process that got you onto DJ Moore, which wasn't was probably a small miss, also got you onto AJ Brown, also got you onto Stefan Diggs. So when you're chasing this archetype, you're I mean, injuries happen and we're we're sometimes just wrong about guys, but you're going to be hitting, you know, really big hits. And both of you guys have talked about this, and it's I think one of the crucial concepts, the the hit big and and miss small concept that you want to be it's you want to be definitely sean's concept i talk about it but i want to it's sean's it's such it's it's the perfect way of putting it Absolutely. really important yeah yeah sorry to just cut cut you off you were still talking no <laughs> sean can you uh dive into that concept a little bit since we just paired it from you i don't know it would be my concept but yeah everything that we want to do structurally and one of the reasons why zero rb works is that we have this element that everything is skewed in your favor. So you're drafting players who are gonna score more points and then you're setting up a team that benefits from breakouts. And so we win big and lose small on all of our picks throughout, you get to the end of the season, your team is simply better. And if you draft poorly, you know, you finish fourth or fifth. If you draft well, you finish first and you gap the rest of your opponents. It really is that it doesn't even matter what the player selections are. Making, okay, coming in with this philosophy, drafting a team that way, using the right structure, not overdrafting, you know, tons of running backs and building that way, what Sean just said, will, without even de- determining whether or not your players are actually good, if you're making sort of the right uh, the right evaluations in terms of whether they're small miss or big hit, if you're taking, even if they all suck and they're all, you know, the small misses, but even before we know that player part, what I'm trying to say is you will shift your range of potential outcomes from like the middle of your league to the top of your league. And, and you like you almost can't finish at the bottom of your league. I mean, this is what I don't understand what people say about like zero RB and these things. If you make these smart decisions, the, it's the safer decision than taking all the running backs. People think uh, people think all, taking all these running backs is safe. It's not right. safe. It's counterintuitive. Uh, I think I think in part because you know we were brought up in, in fantasy circles to believe that the, the safe way to build a team is to is to get a bunch of running backs early. 
uh, just like um, after that blow up quarterback year, like 100 years ago, 2011, I believe, um, you know, that, that the safe way to approach your draft the following year was to just get an early round quarterback. It doesn't, you know, just one of the top five or six or seven guys. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you, you can't win without them. That was the safe way. Obviously, it, it was not the safe way if you look back at how that season unfolded. So I, I think, you know, taking a counterintuitive approach is difficult because, you know, naturally, like inherently taking that approach is you're going to have to like push back against, you know, widespread beliefs about how, how, to, how to build a team that will be safe. But honestly, you know, and I think this goes to Ben's point, who, who wants a safe team? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want a safe team. I think it also fits because one of the cat arguments that you hear that you will hear on this stuff is like, how are you going to beat the market on this stuff? Like, sure, you're saying you basically want guys who have a lot more upside than everyone else, but you're also inherently saying you can identify that better than the market, and that's it unrealistic. Really, it really and, is kind of easy, though. <laughs> Sorry to well, that, well, I think it is easy. I do agree yeah. because I don't think the market is trying to do that. I think right. the market is, is trying to value a number of things and it all kind of gets mixed together. The market isn't just sort of chasing upside at every you know single round in every single early round. And if you're doing that, you can be quite a bit better than the market in identifying the guys who have a lot more upside than downside because they might not be as safe. Median projections, they're not going to be the highest guy available in a lot of cases, but that doesn't that I think that often hides the fact that if you're being really bearish on them, it's still pretty good. And if you're being very bullish on them, it's, oh my God. So, you know, I, I don't think the market is actually baking that in fully. Um, Sean, how do you, how do you feel about that? Well, in terms of finding the right guys, I think that the production that the players are having from an age adjusted perspective in college is not given enough weight. We're simply looking at the NFL draft selection which does give us a lot of information, but doesn't give us the whole thing. And then people aren't looking at the rookie season quite closely enough to see, again, from an age and experience adjusted perspective, are we giving them full credit for that? So that portion of it is very important when we're chasing the upside. But then the other thing, and and you alluded to it here, I reference it as contingency-based drafting or scenario-based drafting. You know, it could be, you know, some subtle differences in terms of what those two things are but you have to be looking through how the players fit together and how they're going to help your roster. And that's again, why structural drafting really is the key to fantasy football. You have to build the right types of upside into your draft, and then you can overcome some of the mistakes, but the scenarios and the contingencies are important. And we do see opportunities to exploit this from the perspective, not just of youth, but perhaps, you know, crowded wide receiver depth charts. There are some teams that have three very good wide receivers and we can still be on those guys, even though, the target shares we're not 100% sure of going into the season. If we have confidence in the talent and those offenses, it'll work its way out in your favor. I mean, that's a perfect example of why I was saying it's so, so easy. I think really what it comes down to is like anybody who's being pushed down because of role or projected opportunity or anything like that, but you're confident in their, in their, in their ability. So like I focus as my like sort of test, I focus on the small miss part. Am I confident this guy's really good? And is he only going where he's going you know, like, would he be going a lot higher if we're, if we're more comfortable in like where he was playing and, and who, what kind of offense he's in. And so Sean made the great point about three different receivers. L- look at the Bengals. All the Bengals are too cheap this year based on their own profiles. They all have great profiles from dating back to college. They all look like they're going to be very good NFL players. 
we all feel very confident this team's going to throw a ton. They're all very good. If one of them happens to suffer an injury, the other two are going to be smashes over their ADP. And even if they don't, they, they all might still beat their ADPs, but they're not going to miss by a lot if they do miss. They're, they're easy, small miss opportunities that they're not going as high as they should, basically, just because of this expected role and opportunity issue. Same with Swift. That's more of offense-related. Same with ETN. All these guys are talking about, focus on the small miss part of it. ETN's a first-round rookie running back with a great prospect profile that we're taking three rounds behind the guy that went one pick before him in the draft just because of projected role. That's That doesn't make sense to me, right? Like, the, the small miss... Etienne's going to play. He's going to get touches. Swift's going to play. He's going to get touches. They're, they're not going to be big misses There's unless they're hurt, right? But mm-hmm. they're going to play, and they're probably going to only play more and more as the season goes on. Uh, ben, it sounds like you haven't heard that Joe Burrow had a bad practice <laughs> last week. <laughs> I don't know if you're if you're up to date yet, but he had a difficult practice, so we are not drafting any Bengals players anymore. Well, Michael Gallup is another guy. If you're scared off, uh, the, the, yeah, no, you're you're dead serious, Danny. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't tell. Clear. I'm. I, you know, let's. <laughs> kidding. That actually, there was a the press conference that Burrow gave uh, following that was actually quite interesting. He, he, he basically he admitted to like, yeah, I don't feel like myself right now, and here's what I'm doing to get back to where I need to be. And like, you're like, oh yeah, he is like, what, eight nine months off an ACL tear. Like, it's not crazy that he's yeah. still working back. Right, and uh, um, the, his offensive coordinator said this would happen last last month. He said Joe's going to struggle uh, in in the pocket, like trusting that his knee will be okay while bodies are swirling around him. And uh, Burrow's response has been to ask coaches to make it make it even busier, you know, add more bodies to the pocket so that he can like immerse himself in that you know pocket passing stress that he's going to face on the field. I think it's I think it's uh, admirable, and I, I think that he's. He's on his way to, you know, to getting back. He said it's a mental thing, and I and I, I believe that, you know, he's he's making steps to to overcome that. I, I the what I'm saying is that this this whole Bengals thing is uh, a little bit overblown. I mean, even if it carries into week one, he's I I, I think he's going to be fine by week four, right? Like it might take it might be a little bit of a thing for the first couple of games, but he's going to get over it pretty quick. If he does have a bad week one, we're going to have some fire takes though. We're oh. going to have a lot <laughs> of takes. <laughs> Oh man, well, I, I had forgotten just how bad this is going to be after week one. Like, because yeah. because you get all the takes up to, and then we get the actual data point, and then things things really go off the rails. Every time he gets sacked, uh, people are going to say, "You took Chase over." over <laughs> yeah, that's what happened too. <laughs> what happened? Where's your small miss now? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we should probably wrap up. Uh, uh, Denny, what do we got going over on uh, NBC Sports? Ed? Yeah, we have lots going on. Uh, I wrote a, a tight end piece, a late round tight end piece about uh, tight, end, tight ends that are not good. You won't believe it. <laughs> um, but uh, that, that's up on, on the site right now. Awesome. Um, I've got this running back research that I'm working on. Uh, ben and Sean, give us, a, give us a final plug for stealing bananas. Well, I'm just trying to read this running back article that you said that you've been working on this research for, for like a week. I'm doing it. I'm making, I'm creating it. <laughs> yeah. It's going to happen. Uh, Stealing bananas is our, our new pod. We do three shows a week. We do sort of a macro big picture conversation. Like a lot of stuff we talked about here is the first show. The second show is more player specific where we talk about um, sort of how to apply those takes. 
And then the third, we usually have a, a good guest on. We've had some really great guest shows so far. And we're, you know, we're only like six weeks in, so you can probably go back and catch up. We've done a lot of a lot of shows so far, though. But you can probably go catch up if you wanna if you wanna be an early early follower. This week we're looking at small miss, big hit in Dynasty, how to build a permanent championship window, and getting ready to draft in a Rotoviz Triflex a Dynasty startup. So we recommend that league. People have been having a lot of fun with it. Check out the Evergreen Topics. Ben is fantastic, and we've been having a lot of fun. I can vouch for that league. I did one with Leone earlier in the offseason. That's an awesome format. It's you can play a wide, you can play a ton of wide receivers. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> so yeah, if you're looking if you're looking for a dynasty league, that's I do recommend those. But uh, thanks everyone for watching. Please like and subscribe on iTunes. Please uh, give us a thumbs up there on YouTube. Please um, leave a review on uh, on your local podcast app. That helps the show quite a bit. And we will see you next time. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.